You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast with Brian Weber. It's a talk show. We talk. And former Pro Bowl Steelers quarterback Cordell Slash Stewart. Hey, get your popcorn ready. NFL No Huddle airs live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern on the NFL on TuneIn, your everything audio app. Hello and welcome to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. I'm Brian Weber alongside Cordell Stewart. On today's podcast, we're going to share our weekly power rankings, take you round the league with Trey Wingo of ESPN and Spotlight, both the Lions and the Patriots. And Brian, we're going to kick off the podcast today with our weekly conversation with NFL Network insider Ian Rappaport. Now, it's time for NFL Network reporter Ian Rappaport. It's the rap sheet on the NFL on TuneIn. NFL owners met today in Dallas. That's where Ian is. Ian, we appreciate you taking the time. What can you tell us about the news connected to the performance-based component of Roger Goodell's new contract extension? 90% of his new contract, five-year extension through the 2024 league year, is tied to performance. And really what that means is that there are several metrics how much and each different committee, each different owner's committee will have their say and their oversight into what Roger Goodell gets paid. For instance, um, the broadcast deals that are coming up, something that I know is on, is on Goodell's plate, you know, how those come out, the money generated from those, that will be reviewed by the broadcast committee and it will directly affect his compensation. Uh, and that's you know, the kind of sort of checks and balances that Jerry Jones has fought for, making sure that he's accountable. And in this new contract, the way it's structured, he is. Ian, when, when you talk about how things are structured, one thing about the New England Patriots is we know it's structured very well in the sense of how Bill Belichick runs his team. We saw them actually fail mm-hmm. against a Miami Dolphins football team, particularly when it comes to Key and Drake, who became somewhat like the James White in the Super Bowl. He ran all over this football team, whether it was rushing yeah. or even catching it. Uh, give me your take on what this team needs to clean up moving forward to play against the Steelers, who they've had an opportunity to take advantage of over the years. Well, I think there there really is no uh, no secret to how many injuries they've had and, and you know, as many hits they've had in the front seven. I mean, that was basically a mass unit out there on Monday. Uh, you know, they also didn't have Gronkowski on offense, which hurts. But I think defensively, um, one thing we've seen this year from, from New England is they, they do give up some yards. Um, they In the red zone, they tighten up, and I think they did it against against the Dolphins. But, um, you know, usually you can drive the field against them. And so that's what's going to be interesting against the Steelers is, you know, the Steelers are going to be able to drive the field. Are they going to be able to – score touchdowns rather than field goals. If the Steelers can do that, and certainly in the, you know, early in the game is kind of set a tone, that's going to go a long way in determining which way it's going to be. Uh, but, you know, the fact that Gronk will be back, um, you know, obviously will, will help the Patriots offensively. And, and even if the Steelers do score, I think this time uh, they'll be able to keep up a little better. Taking you around the league with Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. He joins us live from Dallas, site of the NFL annual winter meeting. And what can you tell us about your report on Sunday indicating there's apparent friction between Bucks head coach Dirk Cutter and Jameis Winston? As you know, Winston said the other day, everything is good with their relationship, but of course no one expects him to say otherwise in public. <laughs> right. Also said very clearly that, you know, when asked about the offensive creativity uh, with which he's had issues, he said, players play and coaches coach. Basically saying, I just try to do what, what I do best. And, you know, to me, from what I understand, the relationship is not in a good place. And, uh, you know, as the team struggles and losing breeds some of this, you know, because no one's happy. Um, but, you know, as the team struggles, it's worth watching. Um, 
you know, Jameis Winston is the franchise going forward. He is their franchise quarterback, and, um, you know, they they are likely to do whatever they can to make sure that he is successful going forward. And if that relationship continues to be strained at the end of the year, then I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have a very intriguing question on their hands as far as what do they do with the head coach? Do they keep him? Do they decide to make a change? Which is in the best interest of their quarterback? Because, you know, we – he has been injured this year, um, but we have not seen the kind of progression from Jameis Winston that you'd like to see about. Give me your take on what Nick Foles brings to the table with his experience that he's had over the years and uh, how much would that be affected by not having Carson Wentz in the game? Well, um, you know, he's a good backup. I mean, he really is. As far as backups go, I would say he's a top 10 guy. You know, we've seen him be successful on the field um, for the Eagles. You know, what he did last or a couple of years ago when he was their starting quarterback, I mean, had some people thinking that he was a big part of the future. So um, he's not Carson Wentz. I will not pretend he is Carson Wentz. But, man, he is uh, as good as it gets when it comes to being a backup quarterback. So that's one part. The other part of it is we see a team in the NFC who's literally doing exactly what the Eagles want to do, and that's the Vikings. Lost their starting quarterback, lost their starting running back, and are just – kicking everyone's butt. Uh, and that's a good model for the Eagles because they can do it. Uh, you just got to get the team sort of functioning, uh, hitting on all cylinders, and sort of just keep winning. And in less than a minute, let's wrap it up in Cleveland. I know what Browns owner Jimmy Haslam said last week, but if the Browns go winless, is Hugh Jackson really in good shape to come back next season? Uh, Jimmy Haslam was adamant that he is. That he is coming back. But that's the decision they made. I've talked to other people who are not so sure. We'll have to see how it plays out. If they go winless, um, I'll say this. I'm not so sure it's a slam dunk. I think he comes back, but I'm not so sure it's a slam dunk. Thank you, Ian. I know a busy day for you covering the NFL owners meeting. Safe travels. We'll chat with you on Sunday on NFL First and Goal. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Hey, Peter King here from the MMQB. The NFL is on TuneIn, and you can hear the home-and-away call of every game live all season long. Plus, listen to all your favorite shows from NFL Network, like Good Morning Football, Total Access, and NFL Game Day, all on NFL on TuneIn. At home or on the go, hear the home-and-away call of every NFL game on TuneIn Premium. TuneIn is your home for the National Football League. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, we welcome in Trey Wingo from ESPN. Trey, thanks so much for taking the time. Congratulations on the new gig, and how is the transition going to coming into work much earlier? Uh, Brian and Cordell, it is much earlier, but uh, as I as I put on my Twitter bio, not really a morning person. So we're, we're sort of in that in that weird phase where we're getting used to the new norm. But I'm having a lot of fun, and obviously, it's great working with Mike. Well, of course, you're covering everything across the board, but I allow you to stick with your NFL live stuff, Trey Wingo. When it comes down to the hot topics in the National Football League, give me your take on Aaron Rodgers and his potential opportunity to come back to play against the Carolina Panthers. Give me your take on what that team will look like when he's back. Well, I really think it's a kudos to Brett Hundley because if they had not come back against the Browns, I'm not so sure we're seeing Aaron Rodgers on the field. But with the Vikings' loss uh, and the win by the Packers, they've got a puncher's chance at the postseason now. now they have a game at Carolina, which if they lose, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for them. 
But remember, Carolina still has to go and play in it in uh, Atlanta, final week of the season. So it's a critical game if the Packers can somehow find a way to beat a very good defense on the road in Carolina, and they could end up with the same record at ten and six. Then they'd have the tiebreaker for a wild card spot. Uh, look, if, if if Aaron Rodgers is healthy, they've got to let him be Aaron Rodgers. You know, he can't go out there and try and protect that collarbone now. He maybe needs to know, as my good friend Herm Edwards says, who's now the head coach at Arizona State, know when the journey's over, you know, don't risk yourself, but play Aaron Rodgers football. And, Cordell, you know this better than anybody. Aaron is the best at second-level play. In other words, when it's not there and the machine breaks down, he uses his mobility to find that second or third receiver, and a lot of times it's Jordy Nelson for a chunk play. He has to play like that for them to be successful against a very good Carolina team. Trey Wingo of ESPN is our guest on the NFL on TuneIn. Trey, let's focus on a topic you've been discussing on NFL Live. Only a handful of premier receivers like Jerry Rice have ever been in the MVP conversation. Do you think Antonio Brown is a real contender this year? Well, it's interesting. He's putting up great numbers, but here's one thing that I think will will hold him back. Right now, Ben Roethlisberger is second only to Tom Brady in passing yards. Le'Veon Bell leads the league in rushing yards, and Antonio Brown leads the league in receiving yards. We've never had a team that has the leading passer, the leading rusher, and the leading receiver on the same squad. And the way these things play out, that might end up being the case for the Steelers. And if that happens, I think as well as Antonio Brown has played, it actually might take away from the argument for him being the MVP because of all the other weapons on the team. Look, he's phenomenal, and when they need to go to him, they find him. But I think because of those other two players and where they are in the terms of their ranks with every other player at their position, I think it actually takes away from his case and helps it. Speaking of the, the Steelers, and also you mentioned Tom Brady. I mean, that's the matchup of the year uh, right there. The, the Pittsburgh Steelers have done a phenomenal job over the last three weeks finishing games in the latter part of it, beating Green Bay in an emotional finish, kicking a field goal to Cincinnati and Ryan Shazier not being there and playing inspired football to now all of a sudden you end up seeing him playing against the Baltimore Ravens and coming down to the same thing again, another field goal. New England lost against Miami. Who has the edge going into this game, if you had to say, even though New England has the edge when it comes to matching up with the Steelers, who do you think have the edge in this game coming up? Well, it's interesting, Cordell. I mean, I think we have to put Chris Boswell as a killer B now, don't we? I mean, with what he did against Indianapolis, with what he did against Cincinnati, what he did against Green Bay, and what he did against the Ravens, he is officially a part of the Pittsburgh Steelers' killer Bs. This game is fascinating on so many levels because – uh, Marcus Cannon, the, the best, really, offensive lineman besides Nate Solder the Patriots had, was just put on injured reserve. Uh, his uh, backup played against the Dolphins on Monday night and was really taken to task. So they're going to have trouble protecting Tom Brady against a Steelers team that has 41 sacks on the season. Only Jacksonville has more. So that's a problem for the Patriots. The problem for the Steelers, as you alluded to it, Ryan Shazier is not there. And Shazier is one of those guys that we first and foremost hope gets healthy and and can go on with his life more than anything else. However, he's one of the few linebackers in the league that can physically and athletically match up with Rob Gronkowski. The Patriots went 0 for 11 on third down of that uh, Monday night loss to the Dolphins. They hadn't been 0 for third down since 1991. That was two years before Drew Brees, I mean, excuse me, Drew Bledsoe was drafted. That's how long ago that was. Gronk is going to be back, and they're going to attack the middle of that field. I think the Steelers have good enough corners that can play the Patriots receivers very similarly 
to the way the Dolphins did, which is don't give them a free release. Jam them on the line of scrimmage. Make them earn their way down the field. But the difference in this game will be if that's locked up, they're going to have a linebacker matched up on Gronk, and I think that's where the Patriots have a huge advantage. Honestly, this game feels like whoever has the last ball last is going to win because the Steelers are coming off a 500-yard passing game, and they scored 39 points, and they get Juju Smith-Schuster back. So it, it, this is – look, it, all signs point toward, toward a shootout, so final score 10-7, right? Isn't that the way it always works? <laughs> Chatting with Trey Wingo. Trey, beyond the playoff picture and the seedings, are you buying that Jacksonville is the third best team in the AFC? I'm buying the fact that I think they're going to win that division. I'll tell you that much. And, and look, there's a weird scenario out there in which they could actually have home field advantage because they beat uh, Pittsburgh earlier this year 30-9, to and if Pittsburgh somehow stumbles down the stretch against Pittsburgh and loses, I mean against New England and loses another game, which I don't think is likely, then they'll be a 12-4, and four. and if Jacksonville wins out and their schedule is, is, is pretty favorable for that, especially with the way Marcus Mariota is playing the last few weeks, tossing a lot of interceptions, that they could end up being the number one seed. I will tell you this, what translates and, and travels in the postseason, defense and running game. We've seen the last two years what happened in the Super Bowl. A Broncos offense that was really just there for the ride with Peyton Manning with nine touchdown passes against 17 interceptions in 2015, and that incredible defense shut out the highest-scoring offense in Carolina. And then last year, the remarkable comeback by the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl was really off one defensive play. After they had held the, the Patriots to a field goal, all that was was a third and one that Matt Ryan needed to run the ball on, and they did the seven-step drop. And what happens? Dante Hightower, strip sack, fumble, they get the ball back, and that highest, uh, the lowest-scoring defense for the Patriots uh, holds Atlanta pointless through the rest of the fourth quarter and the overtime, and they come away with a win. Obviously, there are real concerns about Blake Bortles and the defenses he will see in the postseason, but they have a running game and they have a really good defense. I think they could be very interesting. Trey, you mentioned the style of football that travels this time of year. You mentioned great defenses and and, and solid offenses uh, that has a running game. When you look at the teams that are playing that style of football right now, you could throw the Chargers in that conversation after the start they had this year and how they're oh, trying yeah. to finish. You could talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars and Blake Bortles and how great of a game, not a good game, but great of a game he's had playing against the Seattle Seahawks. Then you have the Minnesota Vikings, and we could go on with a few other teams. Have you ever seen a season at this point in time of the year be such a cluster to where you don't know who actually is going to come out on top and be this excited about watching football the upcoming weekend? No, you're absolutely right, Cordell. I mean, we've said this all year long. This has been the most week-to-week season in terms of team dominance uh, I can remember in a long time. Obviously, Philadelphia takes a huge step back with the loss of Carson Wentz. They might have been one of the most balanced teams. But, you know, the New England loss, more than anything else, and I know – this sounds crazy, but I, th- I think you'll back me up on this. Look, after they started 2-2, two and two, they put together eight straight wins. The defense, which went from being a sieve, uh, you know, giving up six, six straight 300-yard passing quarterbacks, which had never happened before in the history of the NFL, went on lockdown. And basically it's been the defense that has carried them toward the back stretch of the season. So when you see a Jay Cutler-led offense go out there and move the ball with Kenyon Drake and him making stick throws to Jarvis Landry and Kenny Stills and all the other wide receivers – I kind of feel like the rest of the NFL, even though everyone wants to believe anybody can beat anybody on a single Sunday, this is the Patriots we're talking about. They have five Super Bowl rings, the amazing comeback last year. It's almost like everyone said, hey, wait a minute, 
they might actually be beatable. And I think that everybody now realizes anybody's ball game here, especially mm-hmm. if you get Tom Brady out of Foxborough. He's unbelievable. I think he's 17 and three at home in the postseason, three and four on the road. And that's why this game Sunday in Pittsburgh is critical to where the road goes through in the AFC. Trey, we know it's been an extremely long broadcast day, so thanks so much for joining us again today on the NFL on TuneIn. Brian, no problem. Cordell, always good to talk to you, my man. Yes, sir. Be good. Talk to you soon. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Catch all new episodes of some of your favorite podcasts early with TuneIn First Play. With more than 30 First Play podcasts on TuneIn, you can listen to new episodes from some of your favorite shows before they're available anywhere else. Hey there, it's Mike Rowe. This is The Way I Heard It, the only podcast for the curious mind with a short attention span. We're at episode number 83, incredibly. I'm Jack Hitt. And I'm Chinjirai Kumanyika. This is Uncivil. Where we ransack America's history. And discover that the past is never really past. From the American Museum of Natural History in New York City. And beaming out across all of space and time. This is Star Talk. Where science and pop culture collide. Search First Play Podcasts and listen early, listen often, and listen today. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Now let's focus on Detroit with Tori Petri from DetroitLions.com. Tori, let's start with the latest thrilling victory the Lions put together, and it was Matthew Stafford able to play through the pain of the hand injury, helping the Lions win in the final minute on the road in Tampa. As you talk to the players on this roster, how much do his teammates admire the toughness of Matthew Stafford? Oh, those guys love it. I really think that they feed off of it. Uh, You won't find a guy in that locker room who won't say how tough Matthew Stafford is. They've seen him play through so much, and this hand injury was just another example, and it didn't seem to hamper him because he threw for plenty of yards in Tampa. Tori, when you watch what they have left, they have Chicago, who just beat the Cincinnati Bengals, and then Cincinnati. Then, of course, Aaron Rodgers hopefully could maintain being on the football field because of the injury. Uh, you end up having a chance to play against them. Do you think they need to establish a running game uh, to help them as they move forward as opposed to just relying on the passing game? Well, guys, they've been trying to establish a running game on the season, and we're here in week 15, and there's no run game, really, for the Lions that's been consistent for them. So in Tampa, what worked for them was doing what they did best, and that was throwing the ball. And that's what they, you know, has has been their strength all season long. And in Tampa, you kind of saw them get away from the run just a little bit. Now, they actually had two rushing touchdowns, but for the most part, they were relying on moving the ball downfield by passing it, and it worked for them. Um, So I think that we see probably more of that as, uh, the season finishes up here. I don't see them totally getting away from the run game completely. They're always going to have some uh, some attempt at the run game, uh, but I think that if they want to be successful, they you know have got to focus on what they do best, which is passing. Chatting with Tori Petri, DetroitLions.com, and the Lions team channel here on TuneIn. Tori, take us back to what the Lions were able to do with their road victory over Chicago with the Bears coming to town on Saturday. What stood out to you when you look back on the key moments in that game at Soldier Field? Yeah, guys, I mean, one of the things that 
they didn't do well in that game was stopping the run. That was something that they struggled with a little bit there. Of course, they kind of got got things going there in the in the fourth quarter. Once again, it was one of those kinds of performances by the Lions where it was a bit of a slow start, and then they got things off the ground. Uh, but really, Matt Prater was key in that game. I mean, he's their clutch kicker who's been clutch for them in so many moments. And, uh, you know, he was kind of the hero of that game. They had a return touchdown in that game as well. Uh, so maybe that's something that comes into play this weekend, whether it's, you know, a, a defensive return touchdown or a special teams return touchdown. They've had uh, some of those this year, and it looks like they might get their returner, Jamal Agnew, back this weekend. So that could come into play. How about Travis uh, Swanson, the center for this team? He's been placed on a concussion protocol uh, list so far. Uh, how bad would that be for this offensive line moving forward without him? Well, they did have to play uh, without him one game this season. Uh, so, you know, they've, d- they've done a lot of shuffling along the offensive line, and uh, that's been probably one of the things that they've struggled with is just not being able to have consistency on that line. So, uh, you know, who knows if that happens again this week. Uh, what would happen was – uh, at least with the ha- what it happened the last time was Graham Glasgow moved in to center, uh, and he's one of their guards. So I could see that happening again if uh, Travis is still in concussion protocol. But, yeah, they've, they've had to do a lot of shuffling on that offensive line. Spotlighting the Lions with Tori Petri, DetroitLions.com, and the Lions team channel here on TuneIn. Tori, the players have to focus on the task at hand, but you're a reporter, and I'm sure part of your job is to interact with Lion fans and social media. They want to talk about their yeah. favorite team. Are people starting to freak out with the news from Green Bay? Aaron Rodgers is back, and if he stays healthy, he's going to see the Lions in the regular season finale at Ford Field where he's had a lot of success. Yeah, I think a lot of people probably saw that one coming a little bit because people who are fans of the Lions know this division and they know that Aaron Rodgers was going to do everything he possibly could to get back on that field. Uh, so it isn't too surprising to see him making this late season, uh, late season return. But what Lions fans might not think about is that it could help them a little bit to have Aaron Rodgers back because – the Packers play the Panthers this week, and if the Lions want any hope of uh, getting into the playoffs, then it helps them if other teams lose, and the Panthers are one of those other teams that they need to lose. Um, so, you know, the Lions might need the Packers to beat the Panthers for them. So, you know, there, there's two sides to every coin, and I think that that's, that's maybe the positive for Lions fans in Aaron Rodgers uh, coming back because that definitely makes Week 17 at Ford Field a lot more interesting. Speaking of interesting, Golden Tate has finally gotten his first touchdown since 2014 outdoors in this last game against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. <laughs> Have the guys been making a big deal about that around the facility? Uh, you know what? I don't think that it's it's come up too much in conversation. There was a conversation in the press box during that game uh, in Tampa Bay. I mean, it, it's crazy to think of because – Golden's had so many touchdowns since right. then. It just never really occurred to anybody that it hasn't happened outdoors since London in 2014. Uh, so it is a little bit of a, a crazy statistic there. But, I mean, he's been a, a very a useful player for the Lions and gotten in the end zone plenty for them, whether it be, uh, you know, indoor stadiums or, in this case, an outdoor one. Tori, great information as always. Enjoy the matchup on Saturday, and we'll chat with you next week on the NFL on TuneIn. Thanks, guys. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. Tomorrow's headlines. 
before they go to print. I've just been handed some great reporting. Tomorrow's questions before anyone's asked them. Could you make an obstruction case? Tomorrow's conversation, tonight. Who is there to stand up to the boss and speak truth to power? Not a single person. The 11th Hour with Brian Williams. More than the day that was, it's the day that will be. Weeknights at 11 Eastern on MSNBC. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we continue on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for Cordell and I to detail the teams we are more than sure are better than the rest. It takes a unique ability to navigate the topsy-turvy National Football League. Drop down, get your eagle on on this one. A special vision to find clarity in an always changing sport. I was wrong. Brian and Cordell aren't just sure about their perspectives. They are more than sure. I'm more than sure. Well, Cordell, because our legions of fans have been waiting the entire program for the payoff, I'm going to supersize the content, give you even more gusto, passion, and energy with our power rankings. Five teams we believe are better than the rest, and I have a new entry in my top five and number five, my Jacksonville Jaguars. I've been saying for the last half decade, this is the year Jacksonville will be relevant in the playoff conversation and coming off their comprehensive win over Seattle, the Jags now 9-4, and four, guaranteed of having a winning season if they beat the Houston Texans. They're going to clinch their first playoff berth dating back to the 2007 season. What were you doing in 2007? The Jaguars were in the postseason party. So much to like about this football team. Statistically, if you look at the key defensive Metrics, undeniably the best defense in all of football. This team has swagger. They believe in themselves, led by Jalen Ramsey. They're going to beat Houston. I can say that with a high degree of confidence. They're going to go to 10-4. and They have a chance, if things shake out the right way, to land the two seed when we're done with the regular season. But because I've been burned by the Jaguars in the past, we're going to take it as the cliches dictate. One game at a time, I put them even higher if I had any confidence in Blake Bortles. Although, in fairness, the embattled starter in Jacksonville has been playing better in recent weeks. Had a clean sheet in the win over Seattle. No costly turnovers. At number four, blow that horn. Oh, oh, that was terrible. The Vikings 10-3. and three. They looked mortal on the road, losing to Carolina. And yes, we can talk about major defensive lapses, allowing that long run to Jonathan Stewart after Case Keenum threw an interception on the opening drive, allowing Cam Newton to make a brilliant play late in the game. But to me, the key takeaway in that game was the return of the true Case Keenum. You are what you consistently do. Unfortunately for the journeyman, his career has been checkered by too many interceptions, three costly turnovers in the loss on the road at Carolina on Sunday. Minnesota's going to be just fine. If we're going to forecast the seedings in the NFC, I'm presuming them to be the two seed. They're going to beat Cincinnati this week at home, but looking ahead, they have to go to Lambeau Field, and he's back. Aaron Rodgers looking for payback against Minnesota next week. At number three, Remember, here's how I interpret the power rankings to operate. 
This is a snapshot. This is one moment in time. This is a current referendum on what's going on around the NFL. If you're asking me who's currently the best team in the NFC, my answer is still Philadelphia. Yes, I had some question marks going back to their Sunday night loss on the road at Seattle a couple weeks ago, but they bounced back to win in Southern California, beating the Rams. They're 11-2. They've already clinched the division title. Certainly, there's a major drop-off when you go from an MVP contender in Carson Wentz to an adequate backup in Nick Foles. That's all Foles is, but I think that's all New England's going to need him to be down the stretch to lock up the one seed. And with that, they're going to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs, and that means they'll only need to win two games in the postseason to make a run to the Super Bowl. Here's what's coming up. They go to the Meadowlands. They'll beat the Badger Giants. They host the Raiders, who've been wildly inconsistent. And then it's a juicy game in Philadelphia, regular season finale against Dallas. We'll talk about that as we get closer to New Year's Eve. Philadelphia, 11-2, in good shape still to be the top seed, the one seed, as we say, in the NCAA basketball tournament. That leaves two slots. And these two teams are getting together Sunday in Pittsburgh. I struggle with the order here, but I got to go with what I truly believe. I say what I mean, I mean what I say, Cordell. Clichés aplenty throughout the holiday season. Number two, your Pittsburgh Steelers, 11-2. One of the hottest teams in all of sports. They've won eight consecutive games. They've already wrapped up their division if they beat the Patriots, coupled with a Jaguars loss to Houston. That's not going to happen, but we're running through the scenarios comprehensively. If both those things occur, Pittsburgh wraps up home field advantage throughout the AFC postseason. I'm aware that game's in Pittsburgh. I know the series of dramatic victories the Steelers have put together in three consecutive games, starting with the comeback win at home over the Packers on Sunday Night Football, going to Cincinnati in that incredibly intense game on Monday night, and yet another comeback against Baltimore on Sunday night. Pittsburgh, to me, is a tremendous football team, but if you're asking me who's the best club in the National Football League, it's still the Patriots, my number one selection, 10-3. and three. Yes, they were very mortal on Monday night, but history tells us, for whatever reason, Tom Brady and the Patriots have had their issues on the road in South Florida. That continued as Brady looked older and took too many hits and also coughed up a pair of interceptions, but you have to look at context. No Rob Gronkowski as he was serving the one-game suspension. He's coming back for Sunday's huge game on the road in Pittsburgh. Plus, New England is going to have to dig deep because they've been road warriors. That loss on the road to Miami, part of a string of games that featured four out of five on the road, including a trip to Mexico City. So I'm not crowning anybody just yet, but the point of the power rankings is truly about confidence right now and I still believe in New England more than anybody else. Recapping the Jaguars busting into the top five. They're number five. Vikings four. Eagles even without Carson Wentz still the best team in the NFC currently. They're number three. Steelers two. The reigning world champs from New England number one. Back to you. Great job there buddy. Good job. Good teams. Quality teams. Order may be a little different but let me work with you a little bit here. My number five team is the Jacksonville Jaguars. 
And the reason is, I know Carolina had a good win against Minnesota. I know the Saints has a high-powered offense, but they lost to a Falcons football team that I, I don't think who is really good. But when you have an in-rival division game on the on the on deck after half the time, you end up seeing a team uh, that ends up winning that you never. Uh, expect to win, but it could go either way. So I'm going with the Jacksonville Jaguars at number five. I think Blake Bortles probably had the better game of the season playing against a, a good Seattle Seahawks team that had to travel all the way from Seattle, putting up two touchdowns because truthfully, at the end of the day, when it comes to this football team, while everyone else is playing phenomenal, uh, whether it's on the defensive side or the offensive side, that's the guy to me that's the Achilles heel to the success of this football team because when you think about it, they've won spite of him. And watching the Chargers game, uh, they played the Chargers when going into Jacksonville. The turnovers he had in the two consecutive possessions that they had, he had two interceptions, which could have been a very costly game by Blake Bortles that may have gotten him run out of town. But luckily for the field goal kicker who was actually cut off the team by the Chargers, he ended up getting his revenge and actually putting it between the uprights to give him a chance. But to jump onto the bandwagon of this defense, the defense is arguably one of the best defenses in the National Football League. The Steelers have 41 sacks and the Jacksonville Jaguars have them beat by a few more. They are the best defense. They have the best defense in the National Football League, not just because the players in the sense of who they are or what they're capable of doing. It's what they do collectively. They know how to get to the quarterback. They know how to create turnovers and have a tendency to take it back to the house in the defense, in the offense. You have right now 77 yards short by Leonard Fournette to get to 1,000 yards with as a rookie here with this football team, along with the T.J. Yeldon's of the world and the Chris Ivories. I think all collectively, this football team, the way they play, the passion they bring to the table is second to none. It's almost like a collegiate team to an extent for the, vi- the vibe and the energy that they possess when it comes to playing. I think Tom Coughlin has did a phenomenal job of being able to go down there, grab a few players in the draft, and also bring in players like Calais Campbell, Calais, yeah, Calais Campbell, yes, exactly, uh, to get this team to start playing the way they used to play back when you had Natron mean business and Fred Taylor. So I have the Jaguars at number five. And at number four, I had them outside of my top five. I bring them back in. I thought this was a, a, a game that they needed to get on the road when playing against the Rams. I like what they have going on on defense. I love the toys they have on the offensive side of the football. And I do like Nick Foles. Even though he's not going to be a Carson Wentz, I think the, the body of work that he's put in with playing with the Philadelphia Eagles, going to Kansas City, and also coming back to Philly. Remember, Andy Reid was the head coach and the play caller in Philly. Then he became the same in, in Kansas City. Doug Peterson was also on that coaching staff. He ends up leaving obviously Philly going to Kansas City and coming back to Philly and I think that's why we had an opportunity to see Nick Foles actually go into that game against the Rams and play as if he was already on the football field not from a physical standpoint but more a mental standpoint because he understand the terminology and he understand within that system where the ball should go And I'm going to go at number three. I'm going with the Minnesota Vikings. Can I get the horn? That is my horn. No one else owns that horn but me because it's about Case Keenum in the case of the Minnesota Vikings. And let me tell you something about this team. When you look at what this team has accomplished after getting that loss against Carolina, let's go back to the beginning. They had to travel on the road to Washington. Got a great win in Washington in week 10. They won that game 38-30. to Then all of a sudden they had to go on the road. Actually, 
They had the Rams come home to them and held this high-powered offense to only seven points. Then they had to travel to Detroit. They got that game 30-23. to And then they played the Atlanta Falcons at home in Atlanta. Had to travel on the road. That's two consecutive road games that they had to play on in a hostile environment. They end up holding that offense to only three field goals. And then they played the Carolina Panthers. Still had an opportunity. But guess what? The defense ended up doing something that that's very uncharacteristic of them. Giving Jonathan Stewart over a 50-yard run for a touchdown. You end up seeing Funches end up catching a ball from... Cam Newton off of a scramble of about six to seven seconds. Guys out of coverage, ends up scoring a touchdown. And when the score was 24 to 24, after I asked the question, could this team come from behind? They end up scoring uh, 11 points within two minutes. They end up tying the game 24-24. Then all of a sudden we saw Cam Newton end up getting a 62-yard run, which set up the touchdown for Jonathan Stewart for the go-ahead win, and they end up losing that football game. I tell you, that was a good loss. That was a healthy loss because what happens is now they have a chance to go home and play Cincinnati and also get prepared to play against Green Bay and then also Chicago. They get one win, then all of a sudden they clinch the division and you know they're automatically in the postseason right now. This Minnesota Vikings team is a scary team to play against. I know they had some turnovers by the quarterback in in, in Case Keenum. Don't get me wrong, but this entire team, five drops, three offensive linemen were injured. Five drops, three offensive linemen were injured, three turnovers. The defense gave up three big plays, which cost them that football game. So that was a team loss. And I think this team is still primed and ready to make a run to do something extremely special in the postseason. In the second team, I'm going with the New England Patriots. That loss they had against the Miami Dolphins, I believe in it. I'm not going to sit here and say it was an aberration because this team travels on the road and they struggle every time they play against the Miami Dolphins. I would say Tom Brady right now in his career, before that game, he was 7-9 in his career playing against that team there in Miami. And now the score in the record is 7-10. I know some saying that it was just as, you know, he mentioned that his legs aren't under him when he travels to Miami and all that great. I get all that. But this Pittsburgh Steelers football team is primed and ready to take on this team. And, And, you know, I tell you what. The Patriots right now with what they have going on with them, it's a lot of good things because they get Rob Gronkowski back. But to me, because of the inconsistency that I've had an opportunity to see from this football team, inability to make the great stops against a Kenyon Drake who ended up getting 79 yards in the air and 114 on the ground, my question is, will they be able to stop Roosevelt Knicks and also Le'Veon Bell? Because you know who my number one team is, black and yellow. It's the Pittsburgh Steelers. Three consecutive emotional wins gut-wrenching wins. I mean, wins to the point where they've only, what, they had a total of seven points that they won by. They beat the Green Bay Packers, who I thought schematically played phenomenal against them. They want to be, you know, extremely aggressive and blitz. They start throwing a couple screens, and, and Hundley was looking pretty darn special, but of course, the Steelers came back and ended up winning that game. They played against Cincinnati, who was one of the tougher games to travel on the road to play against them. It's always one of those types of games that come down to the bitter, bitter end. And Baltimore, who's not afraid to play the Steelers wherever they go. It came down to another long field goal to put this team in position to get that win. And last but not least, arguably the best receiver in the National Football League, number 84, A.B., Antonio Brown, the man that loves to not dance with the stars, but dance with the goalpost every once in a while when he hugs onto the pad of the goalpost. So the black and yellow team gets my number one spot. And I tell you what, I'm going to go back to the top and go into number five, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I think 
it's a story that needs to be talked about. They ne- they deserve the recognition because they're actually playing the best football defensively, most importantly, but overall as a team, they play phenomenal together. That's my number five team. Philadelphia, I like where they are. They was out of my top five. I give them, a, they was actually five and a half, but they don't have a spot for the five and a half team. But I give them the number four spot because now moving forward, they have to play with Nick Foles and you have to respect the time off. But at the same time, you give him an opportunity because he understands the system. And the Minnesota Vikings, that just was an all around bad game by this team. Defense giving up too much. Offensively, very uncharacteristic when it comes to injuries. Also, when it comes to drops and then the three turnovers, you end up getting two INTs and one where a ball was knocked out of the hand and was called a fumble. I'm going with the Patriots. I know this was a a tough loss for this football team. One that everyone, I don't think anyone thought was going to happen, but it's one that you have to pay attention to so they don't have the opportunity to be the number one team at that spot. Not waiting to see what's happening but leading up to what's going to happen and that's the Pittsburgh Steelers having home field advantage throughout. Being the number one team and the best team overall team. Playing inspired football because of Ryan Shazier and his injury and talking to his football team and guys seeing him in the position he's in. They play Playing in spotty. They have 50 ways, 50 reasons why they should play good. And that's because of Ryan Shazier. I give this team the number one spot. The Pittsburgh Steelers, black and yellow. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Well done. I think that's the most alignment we've had in a long time. All we have to do is reposition the teams. Can you explain to me the one surprise? I figured you'd still have the Saints in your top five. I know they lost on Thursday, short week on the road in Atlanta, but I still think they're going to win that division, and you've believed in New Orleans more than me. Why didn't you have the Saints in your top five? I got them at six. I have them at six. I still have them ahead of the ahead of the Carolina Panthers because they beat them twice. Uh, so I have Jags. Of course, I have the Jags at five. I have New Orleans at six, and then I have Carolina at at a at a at a six and a half because I, I think that the direction they're going in is is pretty darn good uh, when you watch it and then they have a chance to play against Green Bay this week and to me uh, that game is going to be a tall tale for this this Carolina Panthers football team but New Orleans I just think right now you look at all the injuries they sustained uh, we don't know for sure if Kamara is going to actually be back Alvin Kamara the running back according to reports uh, he's yeah, doing well in the concussion protocol they think well, he's going to play but, on Sunday but then you have the toe uh, when you look at Mark Ingram uh, so that's two backs that's arguably arguably has been the best two backs in the game similar to what we saw from Coleman and Freeman last year they were doing every bit of that this year and, and both guys are pretty gimpy I know the concussion protocol says he probably can get back in, but hey, you know, you have to pay attention to that as well as look at the big toe because the reason why this team has been successful, the New Orleans Saints, is because they've been running the football extremely well. And, and right now, because they're injured, the cornerbacks, I know Lattimore is back in, but I just think overall, um, if they have to rely on a pass, I think they struggle. The running game, I think, is one that's uh, that needs to be right. So putting them at six. You know, I, th- I think that's a healthy place for them to be. And, and let's see what happens as they move forward because they're going to have to get this win as we move forward in the near future against the Atlanta Falcons to, to for me to put them back into the top five because now they clinch that division as well as put themselves in the position to, to be a team that may have to play the first week, the wild card week. Uh, but at the same time, you know, they need a running game because that physical defense, that physical offense is something they need. And I think all these teams that I've just mentioned, are more physical. Jacksonville, they're more physical offensively and defensively. Philly, the same. Minnesota, the same. The Patriots, the same. And the Steelers. So if you notice, these top five are the most physical teams in the National Football League. And the one that sticks out that I say that's a six and a half is the Carolina Panthers, but you just don't know what they're going to do on offense. 
when it comes down to how they're utilizing, uh, whether it's Funches, whether it's Christian McCaffrey, whether it's even Cam Newton and what he's capable of doing, and Greg Olson as well. Uh, so it, it's, it's, it's too many question marks there for me with New Orleans. Um, I think the most physical team between them and Carolina is Carolina, but I still give New Orleans the edge, obviously, because they've, they've won both games. Uh, but I couldn't put them in the top five with these five teams I have sitting here right now. It wouldn't be fair to them because all these teams' defenses are second to none. All these teams' offenses are solid. I think they all have – the only team that doesn't have a good running game is the Patriots. That's the only team. And, the, and to me right now, um, you know, they came off of, a, I think, a loss that's going to make you wonder how they're actually going to show up in a game uh, where they have to travel on the road again – not, not just going to Miami, but now having to go to Pittsburgh to play a team that's, that's, that's playing high in emotion. So to see what's going to happen there is going to be interesting. But who's going to cover Rob Gronkowski will become the question because that's been Ryan Shazier's uh, job to do or even help from over top with Sean, uh, Ryan Shazier playing underneath. So pretty interesting. But New Orleans, I keep them at six uh, for all the reasons I just mentioned. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. We'll be right back after this. Experience the excitement of the NFL as it happens with NFL First and Goal, exclusively on TuneIn Premium. From week one to week 17, jump in and out of the action every Sunday with Nick Ferguson and me taking you from game to game. We'll have home calls as teams are threatening to score. Fake it to block. Brady tosses. Touchdown! Hear every big play. Hear every game-winning drop. Here's a touchdown. Catch NFL first and goal every Sunday starting at 1 Eastern only on TuneIn. This is NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Next up on NFL No Huddle, the podcast, let's spotlight the reigning world champions in New England with Andy Hart from Patriots.com Radio. Andy, I'm going to sound like a Patriots apologist. Call me Brian from Worcester, Mass., but I don't think that Monday night game had much meaning. I think it was an aberration. As you know, the Patriots haven't played well over the years in Miami. They didn't have Gronk, and it was their fourth road game in the span of five weeks, including a trip to Mexico City. Am I giving them too much of a pass? Uh, no, I don't think you are. I mean, you do sound a little bit like a homer, but um, you know, when you have no Rob Gronkowski and you talk about Miami – and you have a big game on the horizon that really is what the season comes down to. If you win in Pittsburgh, you're going to be the number one seed. If you lose in Pittsburgh, you're not going to be the number one seed. Uh, That's the way it was. That's the way it will be. Um, The one thing I would say is defensively, the the things that happened in that game and have been happening for a few weeks now, um, that's the one concern, the fact that you allowed Kenyon Drake to go for a buck 14 on the ground, and I think it was 70-something through the air, basically 200 yards from scrimmage. That's been an issue all year. I mean, it started with Kareem Hunt on opening night, and there's been games like that. They, they've had trouble dealing with running backs. And, oh, by the way, the most versatile running back in the NFL, Le'Veon Bell, was on the horizon. But, you know, the whole 0 for 11 on third down that everybody made a big deal about, which was, you know, we've never seen it before. It was 1991 the last time they've had a performance like that. So, um, that's bad, but yeah, Rob Gronkowski wasn't on the field and it was in Miami and, you know, stuff happens. So, um, I think most of it can be thrown out and, and you just look at the performance and the opportunity that you have this Sunday in Pittsburgh. When playing against a team like Pittsburgh and, and the things they've been able to accomplish over the last, 
uh, three weeks, um, having a lot of emotional wins. Let's just say Green Bay uh, had a chance to come back in. Cincinnati, you know it's always a battle. And also against the Baltimore Ravens, when they travel, they don't care where they play Pittsburgh. They're going to give their best shot. Uh, but do you take that type of a loss for granted? Do you do you want to be careful and approach it in a way where, you know, going 0 for 11 is uncharacteristic for this football team, having a back running for 114, catching 79 yards, uh, to be able to see uh, this offense not be effective in the red zone, which we've known defensively. They've been extremely effective with takeaways, being the best in the National Football League, not being able to convert in that category. Do you take it for granted because we've seen this team bounce back so many times? Or are they taking it really serious and understanding that there's a lot riding on this football game for this football team? Oh, no, I think, uh, I mean, you saw it, first of all, post-game Bill Belichick's attitude. It certainly is his attitude today in his big Wednesday press conference. He knows this is a big game. He knows there's a lot to prepare for. He knows his defense certainly has a massive challenge on its plate. And, you know, I think a lot of people got caught up in the eight-game winning streak and eight games where the defense held opponents to 17 points or fewer and whistled past the graveyard a little bit with some injuries, the inability, as I said, to stop the run, uh, a lack of depth at linebacker. I mean, they're literally just signing guys off the street or opposing practice squads, and those guys are now starting caliber players. You know, Eric Lee, Buffalo Bills practice squad, and then he's a regular player. Jonathan Freeney gets signed last week, plays in Miami, then gets cut today. I mean, they just are, you know, rotating bodies in and out there. So, you know, there are some issues, but you're also right that they know deep down they won't voice it uh, that they always bounce back and that Brady always bounces back. And then you look at the opportunity, Pittsburgh, uh, you know, no disrespect to your uh, former team, but uh, I think it's, I just looked it up. Tom Brady, I believe seven straight games. He's had a passer rating over a hundred yards against Pittsburgh. I think it's 22 touchdowns and no interceptions in those games. Um, Rob Gronkowski, eight touchdowns in just five games against the Steelers. They have owned the Steelers to some degree, and that's including in Pittsburgh. And the fact that you have that opportunity, and then you have Tom Brady and this team that very rarely loses two games in a row, and Brady, a performance like that, 59 passer rating, he usually bounces back, and we've all seen this, where after a game like that where people are questioning, and I saw ESPN yesterday, is this the beginning of the end for Tom Brady? (laughs) You know how that's usually responded to? It's usually about... 340 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. Usually there's a run play in there somewhere where he runs for a first down and gets up and screams and acknowledges the first down. I mean, Brady knows there's whispers right now. This team knows there's whispers, and they usually respond to those whispers. We're chatting with Andy Hart, Patriots.com Radio and the Patriots team channel here on TuneIn. Andy, Patriots picking up Kenny Britt. He's been liberated from Cleveland. What kind of role do you think he could play down the stretch? You know, it's interesting. It's Michael Floyd was the guy a year ago they picked up around about this time. And, you know, he caught some passes, had a touchdown, had a huge block against Miami, I think, in the finale. Um, I don't know that they need Kenny Britt. I actually think this may be a move for moving forward. You know, they signed him to a two-year deal. He's a guy they've had interest in for a few years. He's visited on free agent visits, and they just never really pulled the trigger. And I think they just saw an opportunity to get a guy they like at really no cost and, you know, keep him, you know, he can get in the mix here. And yes, he adds, you know, I, one thing I would say is this sort of tells me Malcolm Mitchell, their second year receiver who um, has been on IR all year, who was so good in the Super Bowl for them last February. This tells me he's not coming back. Um, And, you know, they have some guys banged up. Chris Hogan returned the other night. 
I wouldn't say he looked great. Um, they're probably guarding against that. Danny Amendola has a long injury history, so um, you know there's there's a need to potentially add some depth to wide receiver. But I really think this is a move that you know may even have next year in mind as to what he can be with a full year under his belt. But it's, he's going to get a crash course in the Patriots' offense, and you know the way they play. Who knows? Maybe get some time in the finale, and and he can just add a different because he's a talented receiver. I mean, the guy's been a thousand yard receiver, big play guy. Um, good size. I mean, he's a little different than what they have. So, you know, there'll be an opportunity there, but I don't think they need him. I think this is an insurance move and a move for the future. I know the New England Patriots are great when it comes to plug and play, but you have Allen Branch with his knee. Uh, he didn't have a chance to do the walkthrough. And then you have Marcus uh, Cannon, who's been placed on IR due to an angry uh, injury to his ankle back in October. Uh, give me your take. Are, are, the, are the injuries are starting to wear and tear on this football team because you get suspended with Brock Osweiler, with Brock Osweiler, with Rob Gronkowski, and now there's injuries. He'll be back this week, of course. Uh, but then there's injuries, and the team is not really playing to the level because we can only go off of what we've seen as of lately. Uh, but they're not being as efficient as they like. You think those injuries are going to take a play uh, in the part of you this know, team maybe struggling against the Steelers? I think the injuries have piled up a little bit. Um, certainly last week on the defensive front, you were without Kyle Vinoy, outside linebacker and you were without Trey Flowers, defensive end. And those are usually the two guys that are on the end of the line of scrimmage, one on one side, one on the other. And they've struggled to set the edge even, even when those guys are healthy against the run. And they were really bad last week. Their pass rush without those guys was you know, them having to blitz Devin McCourty and Jordan Richards and the safeties. Um, so that's, certainly the depth there is an issue. Um, the offensive line, yeah, you're, you're down. You're, you're starting right tackle, a former second-team All-Pro, a guy you gave a $35 million extension to last year is out for the year. Your backup, Adrian Waddle, has been missing time to his own ankle injury. Cameron Fleming, your third tackle, was okay last week, but the more he's on the field, I think the better the chance is he's going to get exposed at some point. If he has to play this week, and certainly Waddle is still a, a backup type player, um, you know, the pass protection is a question. This is a Steelers team that, you know, comes at you from a lot of different ways. You know, Cam Hayward, T.J. Watt, you know, they have a number of guys with five, six, seven sacks, and I think they're second in the league in sacks for pass play. So, yeah, the health of that offensive line is a question, certainly at right tackle. And the way Brady, the way Brady has looked, I, I think he's affected by the injuries. You know, he's had this Achilles injury for about a month now, and this was actually the first Wednesday practice that he's taken part in in a month. He's missed three straight Wednesday practices. If you watch the games, he's, he's dealing with something with his right throwing hand. It's not on the injury report, but – He's always flexing it and looking at it after plays and when he gets hit. Um, so I think those two things have bothered him. So, you know, that could be part of why he's coming off one of his rare, really bad games down in Miami is, is physically right now. I think he's a little worn down and banged up. Um, but, yeah, as a team, it's taking their toll. But, you know, that's, that's been the story of the NFL this year. You know, you're facing a Steelers team that will be without Ryan Shazier, Steelers team that's been without Joe Hayden. And you just look across the league, there's so many teams without quarterbacks and defensive player of the year type pass rushers. It's, injuries are the story of this season. So, yeah, the Patriots are dealing with their share, but um, you know they, they also have kept a lot of their stars healthy with guys like Rob Gronkowski and Brandon Cooks and Devin McCourty in the corners. So, you know, it's sort of a they, – they've been hurt, but they, they're also doing pretty well when you compare it to others. Andy, great information as always. Considering I grew up a giant fan in the suburbs of New York City, I surprised myself with that pro-Patriot first question. I'm racking my brain – I went to summer camp in the Berkshires, West Stockbridge, Mass. Would that make me an extended part of Patriot Nation? 
Sounds like it. You spent enough time here. You picked up a little something. I mean, even if you feel like you need to, you know, wash your mouth out with uh, mouthwash afterwards, <laughs> if you felt a little dirty. Just trying to be balanced, Andy. We want to have comprehensive analysis on this program. Enjoy the marquee matchup on Sunday. We'll chat with you next week. Will do, guys. Thank you. You're listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast, and we'll be right back with more after this. Long count. Matthews got it. Wants to throw. Looks right. Comes middle. Throws. It is caught. Take five. Take two. Take one. Take it zone. Touchdown, Detroit Lions. Hi, Lions fans. It's me, Tori Petrie. Hey, it's me, Lomas Brown here. We're the hosts of the Tori and Lomas podcast right here on TuneIn. Golden found the angle to the house, and the Lions are right back in it. Tune in on Wednesdays as we break down the Lions' last game and preview the game coming up. We'll see you there. Welcome back to NFL No Huddle, the podcast. Here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. As we close out NFL No Huddle, the podcast, it's time for the Fantasy Fix with Nick Mencio from rotoworld.com. Fantasy football has become a major reality for millions of fans. Makes him off to the 30, he's gone! He's gone, what a move! It takes skill to win your fantasy championship, separating the zeros. He goes to the near side, and it's picked up! From the fantasy heroes. Down the middle, it's caught over the shoulder in the end zone. Buckle up your chin strap for the fantasy fix. Let's say hello to our friend Nick Menzio, rotoworld.com. Nick, as always, we appreciate you taking the time. Let's start in Philadelphia. Is the Eagles offense good enough, even without Carson Wentz, that you would consider using Nick Foles in a fantasy playoff game? I mean, I'm not a big Nick Foles fan, but I mean, I like these matchups for his pass catchers. Zach Ertz going against a uh, Giants pass defense that is just dreadful against tight ends. Uh, <clears throat> Alshon Jeffrey going against these outside corners. No Janoris Jenkins anymore on IR with an ankle injury. Uh, Nelson Aguilar in the slot. So if I like a guy's pass catchers matchups, I mean, I got to like the quarterback a little bit. So I, w- I mean, if I'm streaming quarterbacks, I don't have a problem going with uh, Foles this week. Nick, when you look at Kansas City, some of their big players, big playmakers that were making plays early in the year look like they're doing the same now. Uh, Are Alex Smith and uh, Kareem Hunt back on the list of guys to use after the past two weeks? I mean, the Chiefs, you know know who's going to get the ball there. It's going to be Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Kareem Hunt, and I love offenses that just throw, give the ball to their best players. I don't like giving giving these guys like Albert Wilson and uh, I don't even know what Demarcus Robinson is his name. Uh, guys like that target. So I, I like the way the Chiefs go about it. They they get the ball in their best players' hands. But this week is just real tough against this Chargers defense that is number one against the pass, playing a lot better against the run as well. And it's going to be in Arrowhead, I believe. Uh, the Chiefs have just they just play better defense at home, and their offense doesn't need to put up a lot of points. So there's a lot of low scoring games out in Kansas City. So I'm not going to be on Alex Smith much this week, but I'm fine using Kareem Hunt still. He had a big game last week. Nick, we've been talking a lot during this show about the return of Aaron Rodgers. What's the fantasy impact on his receiving core? And if we're talking about the direct implications of the matchup, how do you factor in Carolina's defense? Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be tough for these Packers uh, the last three weeks. They got some tough matchups here against the Panthers, Vikings. Uh, the Lions aren't so tough, but the Panthers and Vikings especially. This week on the road in Carolina, good defense for Carolina, but, I mean, it's hard to say anyone wins more in this with Rodgers getting back than, than Jordy Nelson, who has just been a complete non-factor with Brett Hundley at, at quarterback. So with Aaron Rodgers back, I think Jordy Nelson, if he was dropped in your league, I know a lot of people were dropping him the past couple of weeks when he wasn't doing anything. So if he got dropped, he needed to be picked up ASAP uh, immediately back on the wide receiver two radar. 
If you haven't already, it's time to bench Derek Carr and which guy on the Raiders are you are good plays these final few weeks? Yeah, Derek Carr just looks like the most overpaid player in the league right now. He got that huge contract over the the offseason or early in the season. I can't remember when he signed up, but he just has taken a huge step back under new OC Todd Downing. Uh, their offensive line isn't even playing as well anymore. Uh, Amari Cooper has just been a complete disappointment. He's hurt now. So the only guy on this team I'm really interested in is Michael Crabtree. He's seen like 11 targets in one game and then 13 in the next that he's played the last two without Cooper. Uh, him and Marshawn Lynch, I think they're running the ball with him more. They're, they know they're, they can't really throw the ball right now. So Lynch and Crabtree is it for me. Fantasy Fix, Nick Mencio, rotoworld.com. Nick, I know a lot of fantasy players like to stagger their lineup to have a guy maybe playing on Monday night. Now there is the Saturday component to factor into your thinking. What are you doing with Golden Tate at home? And he's had his issues outdoors, but this game under the roof of Ford Field against a Chicago defense that's been very shaky. Yeah, I mean, I actually think Chicago's defense is pretty underrated. They play really well there. I think they're seventh in total yards allowed per game, or seventh in total points. One of the two, I can't remember off the top of my head, but they played really. They've overachieved big time under Vic Fangio, which is something Fangio does with all his defenses. So, I kind of like that defense a little bit. And Golden Tate has really struggled in the passing in Fangio's Bears defenses. So, I'm a little leery here, but it, like you said, it's at home in a dome, perfect weather environment, no weather concerns whatsoever. So if I got Tate, I'm definitely running him out there in PPR for sure. I like Marvin Jones a little bit more this week, and I also like Stafford now that he's a week removed from that hand issue. Uh, not going to have any tape on his hand this this week, so I like him to bounce back too. A lot of players on this Cowboys team had a had a pretty darn good game against the Giants, but a big game for Rod Smith uh, for the Cowboys. But is Alfred Morris still the better value right now than Smith? Yeah. I was all over Morris last week against the Giants, and it ended up being Rod Smith. So I don't know. It's kind of like the Eagle situation. They got LeGarrette Blunt and Jay Ajayi there. It's just like, oh, I love one of the guys one week, and then, oh, it ends up being the other guy that has a big game. So it's been like that for the Cowboys. I don't know what – I mean, your guess is as good as mine who's going to have the big game this week. So I'm treating both of them as RB3s. I mean, I'm not comfortable using any of them, but one of them is going to go off every week. Nick, some fantasy owners got a fortunate development with a big game from Jesse James on Sunday Night Football against the Ravens. Is that going to change because Juju Smith-Schuster is coming back from the one-game suspension? Yeah, I'm not I'm not buying into Jesse James very much. I think he had like 11 targets or something like that, easily a season high. Juju coming back, like you said. Martavis Bryant saw a season high 10 targets last week, too. So this game has shootout potential, though. So, I mean, I, w- I wouldn't be like completely shying away from James as like a tight end streamer, but... Definitely have to lower expectations here with Juju coming back. Le'Veon Bell seeing over 10 targets a game as a running back the past month, too. So that's like insane running back usage. But, I mean, I like those guys a lot better, a lot more than I like James this week. He's definitely like the fifth option in the pass attack. The Redskins have been truly struggling as of lately and not getting any production from anywhere on the field. But are you staying away from Kirk Cousins right now? And which receiver on the Redskins do you think has the most value right now? I definitely have to say it's Jameson Crowder on the inside, and he gets the best matchup this week as well against Tyron Matthew and the guys on the slot for the Cardinals. Uh, Josh Doxson's going to be running all his routes against uh, Patrick Peterson outside. Uh, Ryan Grant running against uh, Traymond Williams. So inside's where you got to go. Jameson Crowder, Vernon Davis. I'm, I'm still not scared of Cousins. He's been an awesome fantasy quarterback all season. Had a rough game predictably against the Chargers' top-notch pass defense on the road last week. So. I'm completely fine going back to Cousins in this spot uh, against Arizona. 
Finally, Nick, we know with the fantasy postseason, there's no margin for error. How mindful are you of weather when you're making your final lineup decisions? For example, once it became apparent, we weren't just talking about a little snow in Buffalo, but a blizzard. The logical conclusion would be, okay, they're going to run a lot, and that proved to be a great opportunity for folks who put Frank Gore in the lineup. Yeah, totally. I mean, anytime – I'm not so concerned about rain when it's weather-wise, but the wind and the snow, like anything over like 20, 25, 30 miles an hour is definitely something to worry about for passing attacks. I'm sure Cordell can have input on that as well. But snow, you know, they're going to be running the ball. That was easily predictable last week. Uh, LaShawn McCoy had a season-high 32 carries. Frank Gore had a big game, too. I think the Colts only threw the ball like seven times last week, so – Anytime, anytime there's a lot of snow, you definitely got to uh, turn to the running games and just completely avoid the passing games if you can. Nick, as always, we appreciate the insights. Enjoy the weekend. We'll chat with you next week when it's time for the Fantasy Football Super Bowl in most leagues. Yes, sir. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to NFL No Huddle, the podcast on iTunes with Brian Weber and Cordell Stewart. Listen live weekdays from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Eastern by downloading the TuneIn app and searching NFL No Huddle. The National Football League is on. Tune in your everything audio app.